You guys remember when I fell up the stairs? I was reminded of that earlier today, earlier this week and again today, and I took my time because I was excited to get up here, but the last thing I needed to do was let this be the next day that Jeff fell going up the stairs. It'll happen again. You don't want to miss it, which means you need to be here every week because I can't tell you when it's going to happen. I can tell you this. I have learned to understand that falling is always a surprise. Yes, just write that down. That's not spiritual truth. That's just factual truth right there. You never know when you're going to fall. Now, I don't know how I'm transitioning now, but you take that and take, take your Bible and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, when you get there, you can go to verse 13. That's on page 1357 in the Pew Bible right there in front of you. If you don't have a Bible and you like that Pew Bible and you'll use that Pew Bible, then I encourage you to take that Pew Bible, put your name in it, and use it every day this week and in the weeks to come. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 20. Now, I read something earlier today, that earlier this week, that did you know that when you buy a boat, I didn't buy a boat, but when you buy a boat, it doesn't come with an anchor. But I also read that every boat needs an anchor. An anchor is considered one of the most important safety gear items for a boat. Should you lose power, your anchor will keep your boat from drifting into peril. Whether that peril is rocks or the shoreline or drifting away from just where you desire to be. Anchors are also good for safer, more enjoyable things in boating too, like staying near your favorite fishing location or stopping for a break or some, depends on your boat for the night. The best anchor I read for a boat is dependent upon the particular needs of that specific boat with the beginning assessment being how long the boat is. That's the first thing you need to understand. The heavier the boat or the rougher the circumstances that that boat might be found in, the uh, heavier and larger the anchor might need to be. Now, some of the most popular options for anchors I just looked up what kind of anchors are. You know, there are all kinds of anchors. There's a shallow water anchor called a power pole. And if you're in water, I think we said 8 to 12 feet, it just two poles go down out of the back of your boat, and it'll just hold you right where you want to be right there. But then you can get into things called mushroom anchors that look like a mushroom upside down. It's used more for its weight than anything. There's a Danforth or a fluke Anchor for smaller boats, it, boats, it folds flat, easy to stow, holds very well. But the problem with the Danforth or the fluke anchor is because of the way it holds, should it get pulled the other way, it'll come undone. So there's a challenge with that. Then there's the plow or the claw anchor. They, it's a bit more cumbersome and tedious to deal with. And it's one of these anchors that needs to be a, attached to a bow roller, which best thing I can understand is that means that it's hooked to your boat. It's one of those things that sits on the corner of your boat and you have to let a chain down and it goes down. It's a little bit more cumbersome, but more effective 
of an anchor. And then there's something called the grapnel anchor. That's like a grappling hook. It's got many different tines on it, and it'll grab about anything, but they're also made, and it makes no sense to me. But I read that the, one of the cool things about the grapnel anchor is that if you get stuck, if you just pull it hard enough, one of those tines will bend, and it'll let you go, and then you can just bend it back. And I'm going, that don't seem like much of an anchor if all you got to do to get it loose is just pull real hard. The most important factor for the anchor is its ability to hold on to the bottom. I read that it is caution that you should always, if you have a boat, keep your anchor and your ground tackle, which includes the road or the line, I think it's technically called, ready to deploy at a moment's notice. <coughs> and then I came to this assessment <coughs> that an anchor that does not hold is useless. So let's stand together with that backdrop and let's read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 13 to 20. We continue our sermon series through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And again, today we read chapter 2, picking up in verse 13. It says this, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and his own prophets and have persecuted us, and they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Thank you. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. We're going to spend a little bit of time walking through this passage and being challenged by God's word. Paul starts in verse 13 and he says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing which is another way of saying we thank God again. Paul has thanked God a couple of times already for the people that we've talked about over the first couple of weeks. In, in week one, Paul was thankful for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience and hope, all results of their relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Paul was thankful for, he said, their local example, and their witness sounding forth in faraway places. Remember, our keyword that day was earthquake. Week two, we read last week in the beginning of chapter two of 1 Thessalonians that Paul was thankful to God that the people knew that their visit was not in vain. 
that everything that had transpired in their lives had been worthwhile, even though many of those things felt troublesome, seemed troublesome, and maybe were troublesome. That Paul was thankful to see the people come to believe the gospel and then share the gospel. So today, Paul is thankful again. But I want us to remember that Paul is not thankful for the people. God is not thankful for that. God, Paul is thankful to God for what God has done in the lives of the people. You know, and that's an important thing for us to understand. We, we are thankful. We, we encourage you to be thankful, be thankful. And I'm thankful for you, but what I am learning that I should be thankful for is better. I should be thankful to God for what he is doing in you and through you to glorify himself and to help this world come to know Jesus. And Paul says we are thankful again to God because it is God who is doing all of the work. Now, that's a great reminder. We could stop and just have a sermon right there on who's doing the work in your life. Now, we're not going to do that, but there's a good challenge for you. If you're a note taker, who's doing the work? Are you allowing God to have his way in your life, or are you seeking through lots of great effort and work on your own behalf to just be good? So let me change directions to get you to think about someone for just a second. Have you ever known someone, or have you ever been this someone that you hear and accept the gospel. You begin to get excited about the purpose to live your life faithfully to God. Then you grow to understand the power of the gospel and you see desire growing in your heart to serve and share in the work of the gospel. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, something changes. A storm hits, the currents of life pull you in a different direction, priorities change, Maybe you make a mistake, and the next thing you know, you're adrift in this world, having lost your hold and the momentum of God working in and through your life. Now, of course, we know this to be true, and you're going, Jeff, how do you know this to be true? Well, in the nine years I've been senior pastor, or in the 12 years I've been on staff, or in the 25 years that I have counted First Baptist as home, I've met a lot of people. And you know that if everybody who came here, that joined here, that professed faith here, was still here, you would be in either the second, third, or fourth service of today, we'd have probably had two yesterday, Right? We know this to be true because there have been people that are not faithfully serving God someplace else, and there are many people that are just not serving God at all, and they're at home right now, and they're not listening to us online. They're just not listening to God, period. So we know that this is true. How does this happen? How do we go from being people that walk an aisle, make a profession of faith, 
get baptized, stand firm, do all of these things. How do we get to be these people? And then all of a sudden we're disconnected, adrift. Right now, you all know someone who is this person. It's possible that you're here today and you're still struggling with maybe becoming that person that you're trying to figure out how to hold on and how to keep going and to be secure. Well, how does this happen in a life? Well, it probably comes down to your anchor. Either your anchor in your life was not secure in the gospel or perhaps you're one of those people, boaters, who bought a boat, made the investment, and just didn't see the need to have an anchor, and you never really were secured on anything other than a passion. You see, without being effectively anchored to your faith in Jesus Christ, each one of us is capable of drifting away. Church, do you know that it is possible for me to drift away, to become ineffective, to make choices and decisions that could impact my viability to the ministry, which is a pretty important thing, but more importantly, impact my personal relationship with God? We all know people that are struggling with this right now. That's why I encourage you Pray for your pastor. I don't want to be this person. But if I don't do certain things, I could become that person. And if I can become that person, so could you. And that's a sobering thought to think that if you don't make the right decisions and the right choices in your life that six months from now, you may not be sitting here. It could happen. And how do we know? Because you know people right now that it has happened to. Each one of us, if we do not stay anchored, is capable of drifting away, and we can find ourselves in places we never intended, perhaps even thought possible, yet we know people that are running aground every single day in their faith. Paul says, for this reason, verse 13, for this reason, he's going to spell out to us in this scripture we read today, three specific reasons why he is thankful to God for what God is doing in the people. Now, each of these three points can be seen as anchors. That's my imagery for today. If you want to do this, the one word title for today would be anchor. So each of these reasons that Paul has in our scripture today can be seen as anchors. That's how I'm going to be. So look at Paul's for this reason, number one. For this reason, number one, verse 13 says, you received the word of God as the word of God. Now, that's an important thing. You're going, what's that really mean? Well, Paul goes on to say, you didn't receive it as some word that I or Silas or Timothy brought to you. When you heard this, the Spirit of God enabled you to understand that this was the 
word of God, not word of a man. Do you know that if you attach yourself to the word of a man, you will be disappointed? But when you attach yourself to the word of God, you will not be disappointed. Paul says that the first anchor of an effective Christian life is the testimony of God's word. Paul is thankful, he goes on to say, because the people in Thessalonica, they believed. When they heard the word of God, they recognized that it was not a message from a man, but they recognized that it was a message of God sent to them for them. Do you know that many people, they think that this Bible is just a fact book or a textbook or a resource to help them understand the spiritual events of the past and perhaps how to incorporate that in their life? I was watching a uh, TV show online. Oh, did I tell you we got the internet at our house? 25 years, never had the internet, but got the internet. Wingstream, anything we want to. So I was watching this one show, and these people were modifying this house. There's a show called The Place Where We Call Home. And these people had modified a Baptist church into their home. Now, part of that story is that Baptist church had stopped functioning. Why would that happen? Unless everybody becomes dislodged from their faith. But they said that they came in and they really wanted to revive this church. And they said that there was, there was stained glass and there was this and there was that. And this is how they put it. And there were some religious writings on the wall. But they didn't keep them because they weren't the word of God. They were just religious writings. And we need to understand that this is not some religious writings. This is the revelation of God himself given to us so that we can know him. Do you know that and I shared a testimony I think last week where I went to visit a family and the absence of a Bible readily, handily, was an insight into the home. I ask people a lot when I talk to them, do you have a Bible? Almost everybody will say yes to that. So you need to ask a different question. Do you know where your Bible is? Remember the man I told you last week? He said, yep down in the basement in a trunk, locked away. That is not where God intends his word to be. And then an even better question might be is, that Bible that you have, that you know where it is, have you spent time in that word this week? That's a really important thing. You see, if the Bible becomes something more to you than just a fact book or a coffee table disguise, and you engage with it, you study it, you meditate on it, you're going to find something spiritually happen. You're going to grow in your understanding of who God is and your understanding of his love for you and what he has done 
for you and what he wants to do in and through you. You're going to come to that knowledge when you invest in the Word of God. I read a statement from a research paper. It says, when believers are willing to place their lives on a collision course with God's Word, then transformation can occur. A life that desires to be transformed, that does not spend good quality time making this God's Word the authoritative role in their life, will not be transformed. And when the storms hit, that anchor will, will not be set because the Word of God is not that important. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, he said, all Scripture, all of it, all, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Did you see that God himself said that this book can change your life, make you complete and equipped for everything that God wants you to do? Wow, that's a pretty powerful book, don't you think? The scriptures are beneficial and useful to shape a person spiritually and to lead them into a greater holiness. There is no spiritual growth separate from the Word of God. There is none. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Do you hear what, let me just remind you what that just said. That the Bible reveals to us the greatness and the goodness, two separate things, of God. That the Bible renews our mind to think the thoughts of God. And that the Bible redirects our lives away from sin and toward holiness. And Paul says, I am thankful to God because when you heard the word of God, you saw it as the Word of God, and you allowed it to change your life. Just look back the last seven days and assess how much impact have you allowed the Word of God to have in your life? I didn't ask you, can you check mark the pink envelope that says, read my Bible daily? Do you know we can read our Bible daily and not allow God's word to change us at all? So I want to encourage you, assess what role are you giving God's word in your life every single day? People who regularly spend time seeking God in his word and allow that word to become the authority of how they can live their life, will be anchored to God and will be effective. Paul says, I'm thankful to God for the word of God that he gave that you allowed to come into your life to change you. I said there were three reasons or three anchors that Paul was uh, 
thankful for. Let's look at number two. For this reason, that's our phrase from verse 13. The second anchor Paul mentions is fellowship with other believers. And you're going, Jeff, I don't read a lot of fellowship in there. It's all over the place. Look at verse 14. For you suffered the same things as did the Judeans, challenges and persecutions. Verse 15, who suffered as Jesus did because of their faith. And Paul is saying, you're in fellowship. You're in fellowship with what Jesus went through and what other Christians have gone through when you face challenges and persecutions. And do you know that if you have anchor number one, allowing God's authority to be impacted in your life through his word, then you will anticipate challenges and you will welcome them and you will share them. But listen, it's not just the negative things. Look at verse 17. Paul talks about how they are being connected. Having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, but not in heart. Paul says, we share a common bond, love, family. Verse 17 goes on to say, we eagerly desire to see your face. We will choose to be with you. In verse 18, he says, we want to come to you, looking forward to being together. Do you know that Paul is not the one who is thinking that coming together is a good idea? Paul is validating that good idea, but the inspirer of God's word, which was God, and Hebrews 10, 25 says, do not forsake the fellowshipping of yourselves, the assembling of yourselves together as some have. It matters, church, that we come together, whether it be for challenges. We've come together for great challenges just in the last week, in the last two weeks, in the last month. The challenges of life have brought us together, and I've seen the church rise up, minister, walk in love. But I've also seen the great joys of life bring us together. And so this fellowshipping, this coming together with one another is an important thing, whether it be joy or whether it be challenge. The people who know Jesus as Savior, the people who understand the placement of the Word of God in their lives will want to be together. Now, there's two or three people that exist in this world. There are people who got up this morning going, Guess I better go to church. And if you're in the room because you forced yourself to be here, I'm glad. Because now the Spirit of God can remind you that not only is that the inappropriate attitude to have, but you're here to be able to hear it. Then there are people that got up and go, well, I'm going to church because it's Sunday and that's what I always do. And you'll go through the motions and you already know what you're going to have for lunch and the chair you're going to sit in and everything. So your church is sort of the whole pattern of the day. Or there are some of you that got, that got up this morning and said, I get to go to church. I can't wait. 
I can't wait to be in my small group. I can't wait to talk to the people. I can't wait to praise. I can't wait to hear what God says. I want to be changed by God coming together. I think I, think I shared this on Wednesday. Yes, and this falls under the small group category, the Sunday school conversation that Jeff, your pastor, just will not get off of. Four people just tuned me out. I reported on Wednesday that last week we had our highest attendance in Sunday school since that thing occurred two and a half years ago. Okay, since we started being challenged to gather, last week we had our largest attendance. 272 people were in Bible study at the same time last Sunday morning. That's a great number. Except we had nearly 400 people in, Sunday, in worship service. So I walk away going, there's 125 more people we need to get to come to Sunday school. And then I looked and I said, in the last four weeks, we've had 302 different people be in Sunday school. And I realized you, you're going to miss a Sunday every now and then. So I just wanted to look at a four-week trend, 302. That's really cool. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Worship service, fantastic. We need to be together. Sunday school, we need to be together. Bible studies, prayer meeting on Wednesday nights, we need to be together. Not because it's numbers, but as Bill Holland would say, people are numbers. And well, Debbie, where are you? There you go. We count people because people matter. It does matter. It's okay to count. And I would love to count you as part of a small group Bible study next week. Tony Evans made this statement. God created churches so that you would not have to be a Christian all by yourself. That's pretty cool, don't you think? There's a reason we're together here. That fellowship, that connecting us, our hearts through Jesus, there's a reason for that. And when the joys hit, we come together. And when the struggles hit, we come together. And if we're happen to be in between joys and struggles, we still come together. But there's a reason that we come together. There's a reason Scripture says, do not forsake it. Keep coming You know, there's lots of other ways for fellowship as well. I had fellowship yesterday. Played disc golf twice. Six of us all together, which means I played with five other men of this church. And we had a great time. We threw some lousy shots. We threw a couple of good ones. But I walk away having been glad to be around fellowship. Whether it's a Bible study or whether it's the lunch that you'll have after church today, you know what does this pastor's heart good? When I hear of you all doing things together, 
that I didn't have to ask you to do together. Oh my goodness, that is the best thing ever. Somebody this week said, Jeff, we ought to go back and do that thing we did about three years ago where everybody in the church put their name in and we did these fellowship groups where everybody would be in groups of eight and they would get together three times in a three-month period of time. They said, I love that. Do you know that we don't have to have a program to make that happen? You can fellowship all you want to. You can go do what you want to, whether it be trivia, eating, talking, fishing, disc golfing, whatever. But the thing about it is, is that I love that idea. And if you guys are ready, I'm ready to bring it back up. So be looking for it. But fellowshipping is an important part. First Corinthians says that you are a part of the body of Christ. And the la- the la- I don't know much about science, but I do understand this, that no body part ever properly functions when it is not attached to the body. Attendance, service, small group, ministries, all effective signs of fellowship. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for what God is doing in you and through you to draw you together, to draw us together, because together we are better able to seek him, glorify him. So anchor number one, the word of God. Anchor number two, fellowship with other believers. And thirdly, anchor number three, look at this in verse 19. What is our hope? or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? The word of God will ground you. Fellowshipping with other believers will ground you. But you got to keep your eye on the big prize, and the big prize is Jesus is coming back. And Paul says, keep your eye on the fact that Jesus is coming back. He said, what's my hope or my joy or cause of rejoicing? It's Jesus coming back and seeing you with him. Let me read from Revelation chapter 19. You can just make a note for this. Revelation chapter 19, 11 through 16 says this. Now I saw heaven open to behold a white horse and he, capital H, he, who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes the sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule with the rod of iron." He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he was on, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Can I tell you, church, can I remind you that Jesus is coming back? And we talked about it in the small group I was in, in the Sunday school class I was in. This morning. God's word talks about books. The book of life and the other books. Every name. Every name. Is it one or the other? 
every name. And when we begin to understand how important it is that when Jesus returns, when Jesus returns, it's over. The decisions are made. Or when you pass from this life, when you be, stop breathing in this world, the decision is over. Paul says, you know what really keeps me going? Yes, the word of God keeps me going. And yes, being knit together with fellow believers keeps me anchored. But what keeps me anchored even more is knowing that the work that we allow God to do will help you be in that group of people who are with Jesus. Church, we all know a lot of people who aren't going to be in that group of people who know Jesus. And we need to stay anchored so that Jesus can use us to change lives. When we are driven by God's word, when we fellowship together, and we will, when we look forward to his return, we will be anchored in our faith. Think about that. If people are on fire, those are three things. Scripture teaches us that if you'll do these three things, you won't become adrift. So I encourage you, check your anchor. Are you secure? Because Paul said in verse 20, he said, for you are our glory. How desiring are you of seeing people come to know Jesus? Paul said, in light of all of this, he said, because of the thankfulness of God's word, because of the thankfulness of us fellowshipping together, being knit together through Jesus, and because of Jesus' return, I'm thankful and driven with the kingdom perspective. You know what will happen when First Baptist is anchored firm? When every member checks the anchor, gets the anchor, secures the anchor in these ways, we will see people come to know Jesus. We won't be able to stop them. Because see, just like I'm thankful, what Paul said, I'm thankful to God for what he is doing if we will allow him to become that anchor in these three ways, he, God, will continue to draw people to him. He, God, will change lives. All we have to do is be anchored. Just do what we're called to do. If you highly value the word of God, if you highly value fellowshipping with other believers and you look forward to the return of Jesus, your life will change. And you, like Paul, will be driven to see other people come to know Jesus. Are you anchored? I hope you are. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to pray together. And I'm praying that I know that God has been working and moving and speaking and convicting and leading us to where he wants us to be. 
I pray that you'll allow him to have his full way in your life. And that you'll make the decisions this morning that you need to make that anchor you. Not to me and not to this church, but to him. And then he will give you the security through the word, through other believers, and through Jesus' hope and promise of return. Amen? Let's pray.